Could you just start from the beginning and tell me that story? I visit Orenburg in 1994 in November. On the way to airport, one of my friends drove me to airport. Suddenly, two cars block her car right in the middle of highway. And obviously, this was a not pleasant situation. I'm talking to Galina Kamaleva about a time she was held up at gunpoint in Russia. Three guys decided to talk with me about situation, how I do business without pay any extortion to anybody. They grab my suitcase, check everything what I had. They actually took all my shawls and most important and very sad they actually took 28 charts what Olga Fyodorova... What these gunmen took, some hand-knit shawls along with a stack of hand-drawn knitting charts. This has to be the craziest thing I've ever heard in my decades of knitting, but it gives a window into a dual story. One about a 300-year-old knitting tradition and another about the remarkable woman who helped preserve it. You're listening to Fiber Nation, a knitting podcast that goes beyond knitting. I'm your host, Alison Korleski. I'm start in Russian language. <laughs> so sorry. Let's start again. Three, two. I first met Galina in 2017, when we began working on a video together. At that time, I knew she was a master lace knitter, originally from Russia. What I did not know was that she was also a survivor, a striver, and a woman with a fascinating and complicated history. Galina's story spans from a labor camp in Soviet Russia to a tiny bungalow in Colorado. And her story is intricately entwined with the knitted shawls of Orenburg, Russia, equally fascinating and complicated in their own right. Galina is originally from St. Petersburg, or Leningrad. But before we talk about Galina, we need to go back just a little further. Her parents' courtship was not exactly something from a fairy tale. They met in a Stalinist work camp, a gulag. Her mother, Olympiada, had been arrested in the first of Stalin's purges in 1934. Over decades, millions of Russians were executed or sent to labor camps as Stalin cemented his hold on the Communist Party. In 1937, still in the camp, she met Galina's father, Alexander, who worked as a supervisor there. Both her parents were released after the war and moved to outside Leningrad. Her father built a small house there from whatever materials he could scavenge, and it was in this tiny house that Galina was born. Galina grew up under communism. Now, I'd been raised to view Soviet Russia as the evil empire. But for Galina and her family, communism was a welcome relief from years of war. We didn't know what to expect and how life's supposed to be because we thought government took care of us. We have free medication, free education, very cheap transportation, 
We every year we feel like our life improved after World War II. Galena had learned to knit and sew as a child and worked as a seamstress ever since she was 18, earning cash. She harbored dreams of becoming a fashion designer, but her mother had nixed art school early on. Because my mom always told me, "Artists always live without underwear. So poor they cannot even buy underwear." What I thought. This is was when I was 14, 13 years, because I expressed interest in the ability to make drawings, to do paintings, and I was prepare myself to be an artist. Galina's mother wanted her daughters to have jobs she considered respectable. Teacher or nurse or bookkeeper, and Galina did become a bookkeeper. Eventually, for a union of artists, it was respectable, but it brought her into contact with artists, composers, musicians, the creative types she longed to be with and to become herself. Galina got married, though not for very long. She continued her sewing business and still dreamt of being a fashion designer. And though she didn't know it at the time. The seeds of her future life were planted when an artist friend traveled to Orenburg, Russia. Galina asked him to bring her back a large white shawl. It was a very particular kind of shawl made only in Orenburg, and was called a gossamer web. I had desire to buy Orenburg gossamer web when I was 25 years old. I spent the two months' salary. Real Orenburg gossamer web, white collar. How much this will cost? I don't care. I just want it because for us in this time, and this is was 1975. Everything what you know this like make you beautiful and a little bit jump with prestige, financial prestige. It was very important. And Gasma Web from Arinburg Steps was one of this item. What you can show off. Two months' salary is obviously a considerable sum. Galina's mother-in-law criticized her sharply, not for spending the money, but for not spending it on something like jewelry or fur, or best of all, American blue jeans. All right, I need to explain what these shawls actually are and geek out on some fibery stuff before I continue Galina's story. Among knitters, Orenburg lace is famous. The shawls are knit from the down of Orenburg goats, a fiber that's very close to cashmere. In some cases, even better than cashmere. The yarn is so fine it's practically invisible, like a cobweb. Touching one of these shawls, it feels like you're touching a cloud. The shawls themselves can be huge, four feet to a side, but they can also be pulled through a wedding ring just because the yarn is so fine. When we filmed Galina for that video well, workshop. We asked her to demonstrate this. Um, so, do you want maybe, maybe have her do the thing about the ring first? This is really gossamer web. Women in Russia they call them putinka. Very lyric description of light cobweb. A lot of songs, a lot of poetry about Arinburg shawls. And one of the main test of Arinburg real gossamer web is wedding ring, where you can put through the ring all in. Galena starts pulling the shawl through the ring one corner at a time. It's actually a pretty tense moment because the shawl is so big. There's no way it can possibly go through a tiny ring, and yet 
little by little, it does indeed make its way through. Like most things that are both exquisite and obscure, the shawls have an almost mythic reputation in Russia. All the yarn is spun by hand on tiny spindles. Each shawl takes around three to four ounces of fiber. For those of you who don't spin, turning four ounces of fiber into 2,000 yards of cobwebby yarn, that takes skill, effort, and time. And that's before any knitting happens. Gossamer web shawls are much more famous. They are famous for their uh, very lacy appeal. And women wear them as a like a special for special occasion for wedding for birthdays for celebrate some kind you know just like milestone on their life the shawls are not exactly easy to come by some were available in expensive shops but only if you were a high-ranking official with special access to luxury goods otherwise you had to actually go to orenburg or in galena's case know someone who did and orenburg is near present-day kazakhstan in the southeast of russia not exactly easy to get to. Orenburg located on south steps of Ural Mountains. This is uh, very far away from big cities like Moscow or St. Petersburg of Russia. And approximately 36 hours by train from Moscow to Orenburg. It's long way to reach Orenburg region just to purchase one shawl or to go to learn this technique. So, enough about the shawls. Let's get back to Galena. She's now a 25-year-old bookkeeper who wanted to be a fashion designer. She bought that shawl out of a desire for something beautiful that would bring her admiration and show off her connections. These shawls were normally something celebrities wore, not bookkeepers. And she wasn't really interested in shawls beyond that and didn't think about Orenburg again. That was to change, though, beginning around 1990, as both her marriage and the Soviet Union fell apart. I need to conflate several decades of Soviet history into a few sentences here. So any Cold War buffs? I apologize in advance for totally oversimplifying things. In the 1980s, the Soviet economy was in freefall for a whole lot of reasons. Communist Party Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev, remember him, the guy with the big birthmark? He introduced a series of reforms, collectively called perestroika, to kickstart the economy. In part, this started to allow limited forms of private enterprise. But the results were mixed. The breakup of the Soviet Union might have brought marginally more freedoms, but it also took away a lot of protections, like those price controls and some form of guaranteed employment, and a lot of state-sponsored business, including Orenburg Lace, were left in the dust. And this is because Orenburg Knitting wasn't just some obscure folk craft with a cult following. It was a big source of income for the Soviet government, going back to its very beginning in 1918. You see, Right after the Russian Revolution, the communist government picked a handful of Russian products to subsidize and export for profit. Vodka, of course, Russian vodka, black caviar from Caspian Sea, lacquer boxes, and of course, gossamer web from Orenburg. This means Orenburg gossamer webs already were in demand outside of Russia, and this means they can bring Real hard currency, gold, to 
government. And what the government subsidized, the government controlled. From 1930 on, Orenburg shawl knitting went from a regional art form to a rigidly managed cottage industry called a kombinat. Local officials oversaw everything from collecting and distributing the hand-spun yarn to providing basic knitting supplies to the women making the shawls. Each year, they'd choose specific designs that all the women would then knit. Then the shawls went to regional offices, where they were rigorously inspected for quality before being exported and sold in expensive boutiques. In return for all this, the government paid the knitters small stipends. It wasn't much, but in isolated rural areas, the money was often the main support of households. And while remote, Orenburg isn't exactly small. Orenburg is a province a little bit smaller than the size of France. When I started my business, 12,500 women used to work officially for this cottage industry. The government stopped supporting these Orenburg knitters because the world was changing. The opening of the Russian economy to global capitalism meant its leadership was now focused on exploiting other commodities, like oil, gas, minerals, not folk crafts. So, as the market for the shawl steadily declined, thousands of women in Orenburg lost their livelihood. All right, that is a lot of history. Are you still hanging in there? Because in this stew of international politics and economics, all mixed up with century-old traditions and culture, there is a teeny tiny space that opened up for regular people. People with foresight and entrepreneurial spirit. People like Galena. Let's get back to that robbery. It's 1994 and Galena is no longer a 20-something-year-old bookkeeper. She's a businesswoman, and she's heading to the airport with a suitcase full of gossamer shawls and a stack of hand-drawn charts. This is where the trouble starts. But first, we need to take another quick detour. Years earlier, her marriage to her third husband, a philandering musician, fell apart. Her mother's warning about bohemian artist types suddenly had new meaning. And later in my life, when I met my ex-husband, real artist, musician, I understood what this means to live without underwear. It wasn't about being a starving artist. No, this is another You're reason. Yeah. Galena needed a new life. In 1990, she had gotten a visa to study business in the U.S., but she dithered over the direction that business would take. Fashion design needed too many connections to be successful. Exporting Russian crafts was a viable idea, though. Then she remembered that shawl she'd bought all those years ago and decided to set up a business selling the shawls herself in the U.S. I said, this is mine. And quickly, I decided to visit Orenburg, and I was able to have relationship with one of the best artists on the time, Olga Olga Fyodorova from Orenburg, who became my mentor, teacher, and my main source of the best museum quality gossamer webs. Olga was a master knitter. Her family had knit these shawls for generations. Olga had also been an artistic director for the Combinat. She'd overseen design and production of those shawls for years. Galena could not have found a better connection. When she first approached her, though, with the idea to export those shawls herself, Olga was wary. 
But she warmed up when she heard Galena's story about spending two months' salary on a shawl all those years ago. She started to teach Galena about the shawls, how they were actually made, and how to tell the best ones from tourist junk. Cementing the relationship, Galena always paid Olga's asking price, without bargaining. Galena wanted to keep the high standards of the Kombinat and to sell the shawls as works of art in the U.S. and Europe. Not every Orenburg knitter she met agreed with that strategy, though. The women were more interested in cash than in cultural cachet. Galena remembers Olga telling her, Glory is good, but money better. And selling the shawls was tougher than she thought, with more than a few missteps. Exhibiting at local fairs and community craft shows in the U.S. didn't bring her the sophisticated audience she was hoping for. Believe me, it was very hard. Because between, in some fairground, between onion rings and goat cheese, suddenly my beautiful Orenburg shawls with heavy price tag, it's become, you know, it's like subject of laughing. Are you serious? This costs so much? When I try to explain this is handmade, hand-spun, hand-knitted, women have no computerized knitting machine. It's strictly handmade. Not so many believe me. Those next several years were a constant struggle, with Galena often working other jobs to make ends meet. She was stubborn, though, and she refused to give up. So... Getting back to that moment in 1994, when Galena was headed to the airport after visiting Olga. On the way to airport, one of my friends drove me to airport, and in the midday, this happened. Suddenly, two cars blocked her car right in the middle of highway. After forcing them off the road, three skinny young men emerged from the cars. These three guys decided to talk with me. In Galena's words, they look like young mafia guys, nasty weasels. They approached the car and spoke to Galena. About situation, how I do business without pay any extortion to anybody. If she wanted to do business in Orenburg, she needed to pay. It was a shakedown meant to intimidate her. Galena stayed calm and said nothing. She'd been in worse situations and knew what was happening. Eh, they didn't beat me up, she told me in our interview. The men went through her suitcase. To make their point, or to make their boss's point, they took all the shawls and that stack of charts. To underscore that this was strictly about her shawl business, they left her passport and other valuable documents. They wanted her to continue to travel here and purchase shawls. They just wanted their cut. Now. If I were part of an organized crime group in Russia, I could think of lots of things that would be worth stealing. Cars, guns, but knitting charts? Here's the thing. Lace knitting is complex. And for those Orenburg shawls, there were no written instructions. Ever. For close to 300 years, knitters carried all this knowledge in their heads and would pass it down to daughters, granddaughters, and nieces. Forget about formal training schools or classes. Government didn't spend one copics or one penny to teach youngsters to do these crafts. Under the Kombinat, knitting became much more industrialized, but it was still done by hand. Officials would decide on a few shawl designs each year and tell the women what to knit. Olga had started to create charts to make this a little easier. And that's what may have led, at least in part, to the robbery. Olga's charts were simple, just dots on paper. 
Still, this was the first time the technique was being documented, and Olga was a renowned knitter, a celebrity, really. It was like Gordon Ramsay writing his recipes for the first time. And Olga kept her work fairly secret. Her knitting charts were need-to-know intelligence, in a way. For a long time, even Galena didn't know what she was up to. I couldn't understand why she asked me to send color markers over and over and over. Because she couldn't find in Russia in this time exactly this color and so fine point to fill up this little small graph paper what she used to work with this graph or with charts. Those charts helped the combinant knitters but would also make it even easier to make the cheap knockoffs that were killing the traditional business. Either way, they did have value. And their theft, while ultimately small potatoes, points to another growing problem in Russia, organized crime. Galina was finding it harder and harder to operate her business from within Russia. Payoffs were a fact of life, whether it was a bribe for a permit or protection money to stay in business. That incident in Orenburg was the last straw, It was time to leave Russia, for good, and find something else where she didn't have to pay off thugs. She found that something else when she attended a knitting show for the first time in Massachusetts. Up to this point, Galena had been trying to sell the shawls at art shows as cultural artifacts. She'd never tried to sell them to knitters. And knitters were the ones who understood immediately how special these shawls were. That show in Massachusetts was probably her most successful one to date. But more importantly, that show brought her a new audience, the one she'd been looking for the whole time. Because this audience didn't just want the shawls, they wanted to learn how to make them. Olga and Galina started working together to document not just the designs with Olga's charts. They would also document how to actually knit them. They'd create written instructions one American knitters could follow, and they would teach. As an aside, I was gobsmacked when Galena told me she'd never actually knit a shawl up to this point. But she hadn't needed to. Now she had to learn, and fast. Olga was going on a teaching tour of the U.S., and Olga didn't speak English. Galena would be her translator. Having no idea how to start, Galena found yarn shops listed in the back of knitting magazines. She contacted them. She cold-called, she knocked on office doors, and it worked. American knitters had the interest and the leisure time and the money to take classes, and they were fascinated by the shawls. And Galena's earlier contacts within artist communities, cultural exchanges, those were a huge help when she was teaching. Still, even now she marvels that it worked. I can say is a skaska. This means name of my wire, name my company is Skaska. Miracle, fairy tale, and something amazing. Galena even went on to write a book about the shawls and the women of Orenburg. Today she still crosses the country, teaching and selling the shawls she imports. She continues Olga's legacy, but has created her own, too. And my mission, definitely... If this possible, I would like to bring women just to introduce Russian community, Orenburg community to American women. I taped this episode during the course of several visits to Galena's house. It's a neatly kept bungalow on a quiet street in Fort Collins, Colorado, and it looks like something straight out of Hansel and Gretel. 
Her house has cuckoo clocks and an abundant garden and a frightfully huge cat named Sasha. Each visit she would make me blini, Russian pancakes served with jam and sour cream. Knitting isn't the only piece of Russia she shares with people. I cook occasionally, not every single day, but I try to cook and introduce to my friends Russian cuisine. It's been a long journey. Galina came from the humblest beginnings in a house made of salvaged lumber. She came to the U.S. for the first time with $200. She built a business, a series of businesses, really. People mistrusted her, cheated her, threatened her, and she still kept going, even in the face of near failure. Galina's legacy is her passion. To teach other people, and especially this kind of crafts, it's very important for me. Because this is where my soul and heart belong. A shawl she bought as a status symbol led to a business 15 years later. And that business morphed into her life's vocation, preserving this 300-year-old tradition in a way that is still meaningful. Orenburg women continue to spin and knit as they have for centuries, knowing that what they make is valued. American knitters, beguiled by the history and tradition of Orenburg, Learn to knit Orenburg-style projects here, and Galena is at the center of all of this. Thanks so much for listening to Fiber Nation. You can find more information about Galena and watch a video we made about her on our show notes page. Just look for a link in our episode description. If you haven't already subscribed, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Fiber Nation is a production of F&W Media Studios. It's produced by me, Allison Korleski. Our consulting producer is Ron Doyle. Our audio engineer is Kevin Mitchell, and our editor is Evan Rutherford. And our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer. 